Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And you're back from Bologna. I'm back from Bologna where I've seen 35 films in 7 days and it was marvellous. Sounds exhausting. It was also exhausting. Uh, and it was a heat wave. Yes, and the uh, air conditioning wasn't working. You know, they had to give everyone fans at the door just to kind of get through it. Um, but actually, there was something rather magical about that as well. You know, you're kind of you're seeing these great films, and your whole body's sweating, and you're in like kind of this dreamscape watching black and white movies, and it was just heaven. <laughs> that was nice. It was nice. I stayed in bed. Oh, uh, and yeah, no, that's it. I just stayed in bed. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we've seen Spider-Man: Far From Home. Yes. Spoilers are going to be coming up. There's kind of there's plot revelations and stuff that we just get straight into. So. Spoilers, everything is revealed. Yes. Um, it's your, your choice. I, I mean, well, there's not a lot of choice at the minute, but um, I said, what do you fancy? And that's the one you picked. It's the one I picked, um, and I really disliked it. Yeah. Really? Yes. So, for the first half of the movie, I was just angry at it, really. So, I and, and it's a beef of mine. It's, it's something... You know, that kind of people uh, have probably heard before. Uh, but I just think there's something unethical about these films that, you know, destroy Venice, right? Uh, and in the middle of it, try to get some feeling going, you know, for the teenagers as all this destruction is happening. And, you know, and it's a bit of a joke and they're far from home and, you know, kind of you're meant to find something humorous. And you think... The, you know, the Piazza San Marco is one of the great kind of um, icons of human civilization, right? And these American barbarians are just kind of trashing it, like, without any thought on what kind of a response an audience might have from their doing just that. And, they you know, they do the same later with Tower Bridge, and they do the same with, like, Charles Bridge in Prague. And you think... You know, if this was the fucking Empire State Building, you know, and you just kind of trashed it, like, you know, you just wouldn't, actually. I mean, you know. Wouldn't you? No. Has that, has that happened in a film that's not, a future, that's not set in the future? Well, they destroyed um, Thingy, didn't they, in Independence Day? The White House. Lots of bits of America. I mean, I, I, I wasn't going to talk about like, specific examples. I guess I can see what you're talking about, but it didn't strike me as something objectionable in this. Well, I found it a kind of barbarism, actually, like, and, and very typical. You know, so I have this whole thing about, you know, just even in how American films, like, in general, you know, that, like, you, you have to destroy, like, entire cities or buildings or, you know, that kind of the effects that... I mean, you know, kind of... My faucet's kind of stops working and I have a breakdown for like, you know, three weeks and here entire cities are raised and it doesn't matter. And actually, in a way, when they're anonymous, I certainly haven't responded to it as mattering very much. You know, but the fact that you are meant to see all of Venice raised, you know, whilst feeling sympathy for a few American students, you know, and also find humour in the situation, it's just it just struck a chord with me, and I hate you think it. You're meant to find humor in the situation. Where? Yeah, 
Well, there was something about uh, um, Peter trying to hide what he was doing, you know, making sure that uh, his his friends were in constant, constant hotel or, you know, um, yeah, a lot of the things about they're on a barge, you know, but then the boat lands in a particular way. There are jokes mm. inserted within the scene of destruction. And I just kind of found it in an appalling taste. I mean, I, I was just thinking, like, you know, Venice. <laughs> Like, you know, yeah, how beautiful it is, how it's lasted for a thousand years, you know, kind of, how it is, you know, one of the most beautiful cities on earth, if not, you know, the most beautiful. And here it's just like these fucking, like, barbarians kind of, you know, kind of playing with one of the great world heritage sites and destroying it as if it means nothing, you know. And and then actually I thought, oh, maybe, you know, so maybe subsequently you think, oh, well, you know, this is an illusion, right? But actually, you know, the illusion is the monster. The effects yeah, of the, the destruction is meant to be real. The destruction is real. Yeah. So, so, so that just set me off on a mood, basically. Okay. I hate that. That's a shame. Yeah, I must say, just it didn't strike me that way. I noticed the destruction obviously right at the start. The film opens with a scene of destruction, and then these things come out. It's this this idea of these fighting these elemental monsters mm. and, and causes these great destruction. So, as you say, Venice, then Prague, then. Um, London happens in and um, you know it kind of occurred to me because obviously we've been talking about it recently we spoke about it uh, in, in Godzilla but the difference the, the the difference is here you're talking about the, a kind of a notable site and a site of kind of a, a cultural um, importance and kind of civil, kind of icon of civilization in Mexico in um, Godzilla 2 we were talking about the kind of attitude to destroying a culture and a people mm. um, that is not that, that there's a kind of difference there that's why I found that objectionable which I which I didn't hear um, I think what I mean I really enjoyed the film I had mm. a really good time I think the film really captures something that is that is really great about Spider-Man the idea of him being a kid and, and you know and the, the conflict between his responsibility and who he who he would otherwise be were he not were he not imbued with these powers and the fact that then he kind of feels like he has to use them he constantly has to keep uh, his, his his classmates safe you know I, I get and, and the film um, I get that that's what the film is 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 trying to do you know and obviously it succeeded with you but I just think it's kind of a tactlessness or a tone deafness or a lack of caring for the world, where it's clearly that you're meant to sympathize with these American teenagers, and, and you know, Peter Parker's Spider-Man is just a kid, so you are being kind of shown the, the kinds of conflicts and, you know, sexual things that matter to kids. But actually, you are, you are being shown it, you know, in the context of these world heritage sites whose destructions don't matter a jot to this film. Mm. And that made me really angry. Okay. Did you did you lighten up later? Well, you know, I think by that point, really, to be honest, like the film had lost me, right? Because then you begin to notice other things, right? So, you know, on the one hand, the film is making a serious argument or trying to make a serious argument about how easily manipulated we are, you know, kind of, you know, the the the, the construction of ideas, the construction, simulation, and distribution of. Um, Lies, yeah, kind of, you know, images that are meant to represent something, but that are a construct and, you know, how that then affects our actions and the way we understand and shape reality. I mean, the film is trying to do all of that, you know, but uh, my thinking is, well, well, you know, why should should I pay any fucking attention to what you're doing 
when you're discussing like three of the major achievements and centers of of Western civilization as if they don't matter, right? Like, you know, all the art and beauty and history of Venice, you know, and Prague and London, you know, if that doesn't matter a fuck to you, why should I fucking care about like your stupid illusion or, you know, like kind of you are, you are, you are uh, um, contributing, right, to this idea that all of these huge achievements of knowledge and culture and politics don't matter. So kind of now you're saying, well, we, lo- we live in a world where ideas are constructed out of lies and so on. Well, you, I, my feeling is this film is part of that problem. So fuck you, Spider-Man. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll give you a space to recover for that so then we can talk about, you know, kind of how good Tom Holland is. Yeah, we just so didn't strike, <laughs> it, just, it just didn't strike me that way. Um, uh, you know... It didn't strike me as any more egregious than any number of other disaster movies you could name, for instance. You know, I think the thing about other disaster movies is that they, I don't know, I suppose they anonymize certain things. I mean, I've always found it a problem that you, in recent times, that, you know, this happens to the world and you're not meant to care. But I do think, you know, if it happens in kind of some anonymous city mm. or the jungle or at sea or, you know, in the desert, like, yeah... But for me, it's like, this was Venice, right? Like, yeah. you know, um, yeah, and that's what it started with. And, you, and, and you're not meant to care, yeah? Kind of what you're meant to focus on is on the destruction, on the spectacle, on, you know, kind of towers not hitting people or something, rather than actually the destruction of these beautiful buildings. Yeah, it's, the people, it's the people who are vulnerable that you're meant to care about rather yeah. than the, the buildings exactly. coming down. Uh-huh. Um, I felt the same way about Notre Dame when it burned down the, you know, the other week. I didn't care. And actually, I didn't really understand why people did. It's oh, a building. Well. well, I did care because it's not just a building. Uh, I mean, I thought people's response to this was ludicrous. Yeah. You know. But, I mean, actually, that's a wonderful example, right? So you saw how people felt about Notre Dame, right? Um, and it's one building. And here, like, 60 Venice landmarks are just kind of destroyed within five shots and you're not meant to care at all. And I do think that it's a kind of a stupidity and tactlessness on the part of the filmmakers. You know, because for most Americans, they won't care. They won't know what Venice represents. But actually, in a lot of places, they will know and care about what, you know, Venice represents or what Tower Bridge represents. Yeah, or what the Charles Street Bridge represents in Prague. Mm. You know, and actually, it's kind of obscene to see them being treated like that. Mm. Should we talk about different things now? Yes, I think we better change <laughs> the subject. That <laughs> um, uh, because, I, I, like I said, I, I really, really enjoyed the film. And I think it's, we, we brought up a little bit the villain. And I think it's one of the most interesting villains that these films have, have had. Uh-huh. Um, we, we had. We had the... Um, the, the sort of the aliens in Captain Marvel that turned out to be actually kind of refugees, mm. um, and like you were looking at them kind of the entire entirely the wrong way, which was really interesting. But this villain is um, is along the lines of the Mandarin from Iron Man three, or even like Jonathan Price's character in Tomorrow Never Dies, mm. in that he he is not a kind of straight up villain; he's faking a villain. Mm. And there's something really interesting. There's something really um, people really like it. I think when when big popular movies like these go meta. Which is what this is doing because it's it's so the so the character is Jake Gyllenhaal um, is part of 
uh, Shield, or he's working with Shield, and he's this kind of alien in a suit from. Well, he's not an alien. He's from uh, a, an alternate dimension, Earth. Right, we are Earth six one six, and he's from Earth eight three three. And these elemental beasts, as in wind, water, fire, and air, have destroyed his planet, and now they're coming here. So he's like, "I'm going to help you out." They took my family, and so on and so forth. And I'm going to help you, mm. help you end them. And then what is revealed is he's faking it. He is actually he's from regular Earth. There's no multiverse going on. He's from our Earth, and he used to work for Tony Stark. Stark. And Tony Stark kind of took some of his technology that he made and gave it a gave it a uh, insulting acronym, Bath, um, and said, "This is just a load of rubbish." And then hurt he, his feelings forever. Hurt, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hurt his feelings so much that he decided, "I'm going to take over the world." Like but his motivation is very clear and his methods are very clear. His ultimate goal is not so clear. Like what he intends to do ultimately, control the world through misinformation, is is really vague. But the first two parts are interesting and they're quite. They're quite concrete. So what he does is he uses a lot of different technologies that he's kind of come up with, holographic technologies and drones and things like this, um, to create uh, basically CGI battles in the real world, right? So this battle that happens with... Uh, uh, the battle that happens that destroys Venice with, uh, with, the, with the fire demon, or actually he's in Prague, with the fire demon. The destruction is real because he's using drones to destroy stuff, but the visuals, the actual look of a giant beast fighting a man in a cape, is not real. That's fake, yes. for, presented for the people to believe. Which is kind of interesting, because what, he's, what is revealed he's actually doing is standing around in a motion capture suit. Yes. Um, kind of like looking at the action through a, through a PDA, basically. And controlling it from afar. And the film does this stuff where it's, it's, like, this, it's like its own behind-the-scenes thing. Right, it's like this is how these movies are kind of made. Like people are just standing around in motion act, motion capture suits, and all the suits and stuff that they are supposed to be wearing are all CGI. The film kind of says, "Okay, now one step more, we'll have the character literally do that." And I think it's meant to tell you metaphorically, and this actually is the way that ideas and 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 news and history is being designed, imagined, constructed, disseminated, right? Like, I do think you are meant to see, yeah. like, a kind of a connection between, you know, what what is happening in the film and the world we live in of fake news and so on. Exactly. There is obviously, there's a real relationship to fake news. But, I mean, like I said, going back to 1995, was it, Tomorrow Never Dies? It's it's incredibly similar to that, where it was, uh, Jonathan Bryce's character was a kind of Rupert Murdoch mm. um, uh, sort of analogue who was in charge of a news corporation that would create wars to then... To, I can't remember exactly what he did, but he's basically creating news. Let's not focus too much on plot, right? Because there's... Well, I'm not talking about plot. I'm ta- I, I want to get into kind of what it's saying, because you're right, it talks about kind of... You said a kind of relationship to, to fake news. The idea of, of kind of, can we believe what we're shown? And the way, the way in which uh, we're shown things. So right at the very, very end is a really interesting example of it, where um, Spider-Man has defeated Jake Gyllenhaal, but some video that Jake Gyllenhaal has kind of leaked just before his death um, to the world seems to show Spider-Man being the villain, and yeah. we've seen it. We've seen it happen, and the way that it's been kind of edited and cropped, basically, yes, tells a completely different story. That's right. That's going to put Spider-Man in peril in the next movie. Yes. you know, because everyone now, everyone knows his super, everyone knows his identity now, and everyone thinks that he. You know, like the end of what the end of the Dark Knight. Everyone thinks that he's the bad guy. Yes, which you know, which I think is really interesting. And uh, there's this there's this fantastic segment 
where all the all the sort of drone and holograph technology is brought to bear on Spider-Man to make him completely unsure of where he is. This kind of hallucination sequence, mm-hmm. which is visually absolutely dazzling, and it has and it plays with that trope of, uh, you know, he's. Um, He's made to be, he's made to be completely unsure where he is. The world is changing all around him. He can't believe anything that he's seeing or experiencing. And then he's back in the real world, and he gives up information, mm. and it's then revealed he's still in the fake world. You know? Yeah, it I didn't him... think that was all that dazzling. Actually, oh, really? I thought um, I love that. Well, I thought it was kind of like an experimental montage that wasn't, you know, uh, that was a bit clunky and not handled with much grace. Um, it could have been better edited. It could have been much better. Much edited. better edited. Um, but still, I think it was, it was visually really, really striking. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the only thing that I really loved about it that I think is really um, worth praising is is Tom Holland's performance because I think you know without him the film would just be like complete crap because I I do think it's tone deaf the film. Um, so and I think what uh, what Tom Holland does is he brings kind of a sweetness and a humanity and he seems kind of real at every moment, really. You know, I think kind of, it's, it's quite an astonishing performance, really. Um, and not matched by anybody else, really. Oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, I do. Really? Yes. I mean, I think Samuel Jackson uh, is given the excuse, because, I mean, this is spoilers now, but, you know, he's given the excuse that so, so his performance is quite damp down and unexciting and so on. And then at the end you're told, oh, well, he's a scroll, right? <laughs> you know, kind of disguised or masquerading as Nick Fury. Uh, but really, it was a kind of a bit of a trial to watch that. Um, and then kind of there's a nice interplay between Peter Parker and his best friend. That was very sweet. There's kind of like a few good jokes between the best friend and his girlfriend. But, you know, that's almost like sitcom-y kind of comedy, really. Um, what's wrong with that? I mean, what's wrong with that? The relationship that I really well, like... Well, no, no, let me tell you what's wrong with that. Yeah. Because, you know, kind of what's wrong with that is that it's a cheap joke. So it doesn't actually tell you very much about kind of human relations or, you know, relations amongst people or kind of, you know, it is just like a kind of a sitcom joke. It's kind of, a, you know, a line that you're kind of meant to find funny because it has a little bit of a twist to, you know, what a situation is supposed to be like. I don't think it's about that. It's the, it's the relation. It's the it's the development of their relationship. It's not entirely unpredictable, you know. It, 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 it's the, entirely predictable. Yeah, the, the <laughs> best friends thing is let's you know we're going to Europe. Let's be single and let's have a, a lads holiday type of thing. Immediately ends up in a relationship with a girl he sits next to on the plane, and then they kind of develop this really adult relationship, really loving sort of you know kind of, uh, kind of as if they've been a long term relationship for years sort of thing, and then they break up by the end, and it's like oh we've grown apart. It's but it, it's. Funny and lovely, it's, and they play it really nicely. And what do you say? What do you say? Oh, it doesn't say tell you anything about the human condition. Are you expect no. That? I'm telling. Yes. Well, you know, in a better film, you would. That's my point. No. So yes, you are finding it sweet and funny, and you know, and it works. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but it works on a very low level. So what? It was really nice and funny and sweet, and I don't. Well, and, and unobjectionable. You know, it wasn't like they were destroying Venice. Very low expectations. I mean, I think, you know. So let's. Let's be clear. But I agree. That was one of the enjoyable aspects of the film, and I liked it very much. You know, and it was enjoyable to see. But it's very low expectations. What about Zendaya, who plays MJ? Oh, I like, like her very much. Yeah, you know, that 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 to me, that relationship between the two of them, how it develops, is absolutely wonderful. And when it culminates in that in that kiss at the end, 
You know, it's a really, it's a beautiful scene. It's really sweet. And you really feel that kind of childhood glee about it. You know, this isn't like two twenties. I mean, they probably they are twenty somethings in real life, but this isn't played off as two twenty somethings who, who are meeting up and hooking up. These are sixteen year olds who are finding love for the first time, and it's incredibly sweet and beautiful. And then you know, Peter Parker skips off at the end. You feel the lightness in his heart. Absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love the fact as well that the film makes MJ smart like it, it, she was smart in the previous film and she is a smart character but it, it really threat uh, the, f- the moment the film started I thought if she is not going to work out his identity I'm not with it mm. because she's too smart not to it's too obvious and the film starts to make overtures towards that and by the halfway point she has figured it out and I'm and, and like thank you thank you for having the kind of the, the, the confidence to, to, to do that I suppose with the character you know as opposed to it being this constant secret she listen Let's not go overboard on this ride because you're just in a bad mood because you didn't like they destroyed some well, paintings. Well, maybe I am. In, I am in a bad mood, <laughs> but you know, kind of what you're saying here about Mary J. There's like three female characters in the film of any significance. You know, uh, one is Auntie M, who in you know Marisa Tomei is very attractive, playing and actually she's she's wonderful. She does get all the laughs and so on. You know, but now Auntie M, you know, as opposed to like Aunt Sally May. F- and May, Auntie M from Wizard of Oz. Sorry. <laughs> so as opposed to Sally Field, um, you know, and May here, you know, she's kind of girly, flirty. Yeah, it's kind of you know, it's a very traditional and cliched type of femininity that's on display. Hmm. Um, the young girl who is um, the girlfriend of, Pete, of Peter Parker's best friend is the same. Right, kind of like, you know, cliched, you know, character. And then there's Mary Jane, you know, so kind of, you know, and all structurally kind of given very little time in relation to any of the other male characters. So, you know, if you didn't make Mary Jane smart, my God, it would be like horrific, right? Like the least you could do is make, you know, this love interest who nevertheless is given a very small, you know, role in the action, make her smart. You have to see also what Peter Parker sees in her. Well, I wasn't thinking about it from a feminist perspective. I was thinking about it in a, in a kind of believability of, of the film, you know? Yes. Like the film started... Like, I mean, we talked about previously... We, we have previously talked about how um, the new, these two new Spider-Mans, the, the, the last one, uh, Homecoming, did away with some of the kind of, you would think, canonical elements of Spider-Man, like uh, Uncle Ben dying. You know, didn't, ha- didn't have that at all. Yes. Um, and... Uh, kind of made you think of what is essential to it because it still works really well and I think the choices that it's making part one of the things about Spider-Man was the whole thing was no one ever knew his secret identity that's mm. a kind of very that's your very traditional superhero thing which started to get turned on its head even at the start of the Marvel series with at the end of Iron Man he goes I'm Iron Man becomes a celebrity mm. you know um, so in this it's kind of it's making a very big decision to have Several people know about his identity now. Hmm. You know, he opens up to MJ, which is a, which is a, a big difference. But I, I like the fact they went ahead with that because it makes sense in this hmm. in I this mean, context. Yeah, those are some of the nicer things of the film. I mean, I think there's no question about it. And actually, um, isn't it also a problem that you know what you remember out of this two hundred million dollar film or whatever is like a few lines among being between the characters, and you know. Well, I, I do think uh, Tom Holland is wonderful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I dread to think what the film would have been without him, really. Uh, so I think he's really special, and um, I mean, to me, he's the best Spider-Man so far. 
Um, but this is far from being the best Spider-Man movie. I really love the Sam Raimi ones. They they are really good. Um, one one of the other things I liked about this is, uh, which I was vaguely alluded to earlier on, is um, that he it keeps his classmates in constant contact with him. I think what other films have done, what other Spider-Man stories have done, is they have this central idea of, of with great power comes great responsibility, and his and the, the the conflict between the responsibility that he has just from having this power, and the life that is being kind of taken from him because he has to because he has this responsibility, mm. the life of a child, um, and being able to kind of grow up innocent and all that sort of stuff. And what other films have done is, is is kind of separate those because he has on the one hand he has the story where he's trying to be a kid at school, and on the other hand you have I'm trying to save the world from a supervillain. Mm. And I like the way that this keeps everything in constant contact because the kids are always there. They're setting it as a school trip through Europe where the villain is kind of following him around and therefore following the children around. Mm. It works really well because, it, because there's, a, there's a point right at the end where just, as, just after they've, they've won in London and uh, MJ runs up and, and embraces him and he says, are you okay? And he says, is everyone else okay? I really like that line. Like mm. it's he's constantly he's constantly have to be vigilant to all his friends. It feels way more holistic thematically in a way that other films have kind of separated those elements. Mm. You know, and I think it really communicates something essential about about the, about the idea of Spider Man, this the, the youthfulness to everything. And Tom well, Holland plays that really really well, as you say. Yeah, but I'm also not sure. So, for example, the whole sequence on the bus where he gets the glasses and you know and so on, and you know he puts everyone in danger. You know, because he wants to find out or he wants to stop a revealing kind of uh, image of being circulated. Um, I thought, what an asshole, like, uh, for the character, right? Like, you know, he's really endangering everybody, right, by kind of not being attentive to, you know, a larger thing that's at stake. So... um, Accidentally. I didn't think that scene was perfect. I think it relies too much on... It relies too much on contrived misunderstandings. That's right. when, When the glasses say to him... Uh, is this kid Brett a target? And he says yes. Like he should know better. Yeah. You know, or or the glasses should say, "Are you sure he's a human being?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um. it relies too much on that. But but it's not kind of. It's. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing like malicious to it. He's not being an asshole. I thought it was a, no. But what he's think what what he's doing is he's just thinking of himself and his friend rather than being intelligent about you know what's at stake and being in a bus in the middle of the Alps, you know, and calling on that. Um, so I thought that was a very. Well, he doesn't realize the power that he has in his hands at that point. That, that's what teaches him. Then the drone comes down. He's I like, know, Shit. but you know, the thing about Peter Parker also is he is meant to be a whiz. Because that's why he then passes on the glasses to the baddie. He says, "This responsibility is too much for me. This shouldn't be for me. This should be for you." I know. Um, so you know, there's there's a whole series of kind of contrivances throughout the film that really do come across as contrivances, really. Um, so and 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 that is one of them. Yeah, like they, you know, they have to figure out a way of kind of of passing this on to Mysterioso. Um, so, but but I Mysterio. Did, yeah, Mysterio. No, I mean, he should be smart. You're right, but I think it's still within its own context. Makes a certain amount of sense. The the progression, like you say, makes a certain amount of sense. The only thing that I really loved, aside from Tom Holland's performance, was at the end where he's going through New York. Right and um, right at the end when he's flying, yeah, swinging. when he, you know, yeah. and all of those um, sequences where he's going through rooftop gardens and you know, kind of stepping on kind of main buildings and all of that, I thought was lovely. 
You know, but imagine if they treated all of those like New York landmarks the way they treated Venice. And, bring- <laughs> <laughs> and J. Jonah Jameson's coming back. I love well, that. Well, particularly J.K. Simmons and I J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, as soon as he came movies. on... It energised the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, he's, he's like one of the um, most wonderful things about the, the Sam Raimi series. And what's really great is he's going to take on, as he actually he does in the in the Spider-Man video game that came out last year as well on PlayStation, which wasn't voiced by him, it was voiced by someone else. But the character of J. Jonah Jameson in that takes on a kind of... Um, uh, oh, fuck, uh, Alex Jones type. You know Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist mm. in America, the InfoWars guy? He takes on that kind of role. So he, J. Jonah Jameson was always kind of, uh, at least in the Sam Raimi thing, Sam Raimi films, he was um, just printing whatever, whatever made him money basically. And like if it, and if it was, if it was against Spider-Man, then it was conflict, and it was great. So let's just you know print it, makes it money. And then in the in the game, and what's being kind of promised here is more of a kind of conspiracy theorist angle. I think mm. you know of a kind of promoting fake news, uh, as it were, and um, and a kind of constant sort of sort of enemy type, type, you know, uh, like a shock jock almost type thing, which I think is going to be interesting. I mean, you know, so there are two things maybe that have also um, kind of framed my response to this uh, Spider-Man film. So the first is there's this wonderful interview with... um, Oh my God! Uh, the writer of Less Than Zero, and um, he also did that film with Christian Bale as the serial killer. Less Than Zero is the novel. Brett Easton Ellis. Yeah. So Brett Easton Ellis. There's an interview with him online where he says, you know, kind of like, um, you know, like the Marvel films are like kind of very good corporate filmmaking. It's kind of a, a wonderful model of business, and so on. But really, yeah, like kind of none of them are great films. And um, and I happen to think that that's true, right? So in a way, kind of, you know, that has framed a certain response of the Spider-Man film with me. The other thing was just kind of being at Bologna, right? And just kind of seeing, um, you know, all these films that were absolutely like magnificent you know, and that make you think and, you know, striking imagery and and that resonate and that, you know, kind of make you think about the world and and people, right? And by any of those, like, this film is just like a trifle, really. You know, and actually, I, I think, you know, a trifle that, you know, has a veneer of kind of trying to make a critique of, you know, the, the culture that we live in and our, our notions of truth and representation, ideas of circulate... But really, it's kind of so um, uninformed uh, and inconsistent um, and lacking in just kind of beauty and understanding that, you know, I think, why are we being so tolerant of, you know, why are we spending so much time discussing what is really just a minor piece of trash and we're only doing it because it's Marvel? What are your expectations? The th- you know, so one of the things that Brad Easton Ellis says, well, you know, kind of this is co- commercial cinema and it's a great model for making money. But actually, American cinema, American popular cinema has always been about making money. Yeah, the thing is that, you know, some of those films, aside from being designed to make money, have also been great works of art, right? So, you know, and and you're not looking at it because it's Hollywood cinema, you're looking at it because... 
Hollywood cinema has produced kind of great works of art, you know, very significant and influential around the world. So, you know, now, these films are commercial films, and they're very successful and, you know, good for the Marvel Corporation or whatever, right? But if they're not giving you enough food for thought or, you know, arousing a feeling or all of those things that kind of art is supposed to do, then really, you know, kind of who cares if Marvel is making a lot of money? That's not what I asked. What were your expectations? Well, my expectations... Seems like you expected... Well, my, my expectation with every film is that it'd be a great film. Isn't yours? No, there's a difference between hope and expectation. Um, really, you know, I do expect these films to be great. You know, like, kind of, why, why shouldn't they be? You know, kind of, yeah. Because most films aren't. Well, it's true that most films aren't, but it's also rather shocking. How many Marvel films have there been now? 25-ish. Okay. It's really kind of shocking that out of the 25, there isn't one truly great one. I don't think it's shocking. I think it's shocking. Shocking in what sense? Well... It's not a surprise. I would have expected at least, you know, one in 25 would be great. Yeah, why not? All that money, all that thinking, all those people working for years on making something great. No, that's not how it works. Well, I think that is that. I mean, I do think if you ask people, they are trying I to think, make something great. I think great requires risks. And where's commercial cinema ever going to take a risk? The closest it got was Black Panther. Well, um, I mean, I, I don't think everything is about risk. Um, so, you know, anyway, kind of, um, yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, kind of, I'm very um, open-minded about cinema. And great cinema can take on all kinds of shapes and forms and so on. And there's no reason why a Marvel film can't be truly great. But also, you know, it just hasn't been. So, uh, and certainly, this one is like, you know, not worth spending an hour talking about it, that's for sure. To you, I really liked it. I really liked it, and I think I think it is really interesting. I think you know within <laughs> within a certain context. I'm not comparing it to anything you saw in Bologna, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, um, you know. I, I, I'm bringing to it a kind of expectation, a level of expectations of it, it's a Marvel movie, and it is huge commercial cinema, that sort of thing. And I think within that, it was it was really interesting. Like I say, I think I think the kind of the the the, the construction of the villain. And the kind of meta stuff it does around it, kind of making him a director of of his own villainy and uh, you know a, an image creator. Like it's a wonderful thing where as it, when it's first revealed to you, um, when he's first, when he gets the glasses off Peter, um, and then he turns around and everyone who's been in this bar turns out to be a, 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 a in on it with him, hmm. one of his kind of co-workers, co-evil conspirators. Um, he does this kind of speech saying, "Okay, thank you, and thank you, and thank you." And it's like it's like the Oscars, you know. Thank you, you're the one who uh, did the visual effects, and you did the sound design, and you did the plot. You know, like, that's kind of yeah. And he's the director of it all and the star, which is kind of interesting. And I tell you, it made me think as well about um, Saving Mr. Banks, which I happened to watch last night. Which is, do you know? Have you seen? I have seen it. It's the story of the making of Mary Poppins. And that's a really interesting kind of meta thing as well. Like, you know, and this, this actually is Disney as well because it's Marvel. Disney goes meta a lot, and it, it's you know it kind of invented all these tropes of kind of uh, fairy tale filmmaking and stuff, fairy tale 
um, storytelling in visual media and then started to kind of invert them itself with like um, Enchanted, the, the Amy Adams thing where it was like, you know, this is what this is what you believe all these tropes are of being a, a fairy princess and now look at them clash with actually what real the real world is sort of thing. And in Saving Mr. Banks, it's it's about the fear of Disneyfication, you know? It's about sort of P.L. Travers going, I don't want to sell the story to Disney. Disney's been on at me for 20 years about getting this story off me and I don't want to do it because he'll turn it into Pap. cartoons, pap, all this stuff. And all of the stuff in it is, is about her, is about the clashes between what her story's meant to be and what they want to turn it into and this sort of thing. But as along with it being a story about Disneyfication, it is itself a Disneyfied movie. Sure. You know, it softens the edges of P.L. Travers. She was a lot harsher than she comes... I mean, she was... If you listen to those tapes that she took when they were uh, working on the adaptation, she's incredibly harsh, and she's slightly softened in this. Obviously, Disney himself is really softened. You know, there's that whole thing in the, di- the film about how he walks around and makes, makes everyone call him Walt, you know, and you don't see him smoking and all that sort of stuff. Well, but that's, um, you know... And I, I, that, that, again, it kind of reminded me of this. But it's a film about about its own filmmaking, in a way, or related to its own But it's a film that doesn't question its corporate dimension at all, right? I mean, this is a film that... Well, first of all, I despised all of that Tony Stark thing. You say, it's a joke, it's a joke. But it kept going on and on. No, it didn't. Oh, yes, it did. No. I despised it. I disagree with you. Um... So, you know, it's kind of like self-glorifying. I think it was in context. It was at the end of Endgame when they did all the, oh, you're amazing credits. That was for the audience. And that was sickening. In this, it's part of the context of the, of the story and the world. Post, uh, it's post a, it's a particular point of view on the context of the story and the world. And it's one that's self-glorifying and I despise it. Uh, and second of all, there's no questioning ever... You know, the kind of corporate culture is in any way exploitative or wrong. You know, so like, kind of, you know, um, everybody's enthralled to Tony, to Tony Stark. Everybody's enthralled to the wonders, you know, that these corporations have access to. You know, there's never a moment, and this is very unlike, you know, like if you, if you imagine this film being done in the 30s, you know, there would have been some counterpoint between what's happening with Peter Parker and space and so on, and what's happening with, like, poor Joe Blow who's losing his house and, you know, will not, not have food for another 30 days or whatever. This is, co- this is completely in the realm of a corporate culture, you know, that actually that you're meant to admire because it's so rich and wealthy and omnipotent, right? And kind of not a single kind of touchstone to anybody who suffers from you know, what is happening in the world that we are being shown is exploding. Well, that's true. I mean, you don't no. see anything like that. But uh, but it's still, the, the you know, when, um, what's his name, when Peter Parker gets those glasses for the first time and almost kills his school friend, you know, I, the, there is an, an undertone in that scene of how, of how powerful this is and that it is kind of wrong, that it is scary how much power it is, that he can look at everyone's texts. Yes. And it has to decide. No, I'm not going to do it again. Like like that like bit in the Dark Knight where you know they they're able to tap into everyone's phones well, to, to locate the Joker, and he's like, "This has this this cannot." You know, you've got Morgan Freeman going, going "This is wrong," that sort of thing. So, I think, and it has a kind of you know you might, might call it lip service. I'm not saying it's like it's not about that, but it is there, and I think and so while the, while the film isn't um, critical exactly of itself. When it's when it's kind of indulging in this sort of um, self-referential stuff, it's still 
it's still thoughtful about it. You know, it's still like I say these oh, questions about, it, about the Im- about the images that we're it's, creating. It's thoughtful within the perspective of you know a consciousness that isn't very highly educated or or indeed very thoughtful, right? So I think there are slippages now in this whole series of Spider-Man that I find kind of concerning. So you know, one of the things about Spider-Man always is that he's very poor. Right, and he always had to work part time, and you know, part of his working at the Daily Mail was because he was poor. And Aunt Aunt May, Aunt May, you know, she was a poor little old lady, and you know, and and kind of Peter needed to help out, right? So that's the whole point about uh, um, Aunt A- <laughs> Aunt May, Aunt May, <laughs> is, Marissa is is you know that she's very loving. But also very fragile and vulnerable. Yeah. Right. I mean, in this one, I mean, she's, I don't know, she's all su- suddenly developed into sexy Marisa Tomei, who's having an affair with multimillionaire, what's his name, the director? John Favreau. John Favreau, you know, who's kind of flying his own corporate airplane, like, all over the world. I mean... I'm with you on that. That is I, a shift, well, I'm right? With, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are elements of that that I think are missing. And are being smoothed out and kind of made sort of more comfortable. Yes, and they're not innocent. You know, I mean, it it reminds me rather of um, that Love Simon, the the gay teen movie, where one thing that we mentioned about it was that it's it's a really affluent sort of world they live in, and the kid has no other problems other than being gay, which in a sense, allows the film to only concentrate on this one aspect of the story. But on the other hand, you don't, you don't believe sort of elements of it. And, and I think that, that kind of is working in a similar way here. You know, well, as, you, as you described. Like, he, the, what, what are Peter Parker's problems here? It's making a connection with people um, and, and working out kind of what kind of life he can or should lead and what his responsibilities are. But there are, there are, there are elements... Of his story that are not present that have been previously that add to that conflict to make it deeper. Well, being smoothed out. I think there are elements of the story that have, you know, uh, disappeared in such a way that make the film entirely uncritical of the corporate culture that kind of um, has a global sway, Um, and I find that disconcerting. You know, because the whole thing about Peter Parker also is, you know, he's meant to be like of and for the people, <laughs> and yeah. what of and for the people kind of now has really shifted quite considerably. Yeah, I mean that, that's. I mean, the who film gets to go in 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 a, an America or indeed a Western world where you know you have working people who are food hungry? Yeah, like you know, where's this? All the class goes to Europe. You know, I mean. That would make sense in a, in a Tony Stark film, but in a Spider-Man film, Spider-Man isn't meant to be one of those kids that their school organizes a trip to Europe. No. No, I mean you're right. I think that is an issue with the fans. Okay, I don't no want to shit on your good time. No, you can't ruin my good time. I had a really good time, and fuck you. And actually, the fact that you didn't like it makes me like it more. Well, good for you. You know, so stuff you. But but you're I mean you're right. But certainly about that, I think. I mean, you know, that is definitely an issue, and it's saying that you know the film the film tries to play this sort of um, this thing of 
Peter being forced into a bigger fight than he wants, which is which it also had with with the um, Infinity War yeah. uh, thing, where you know he joins the fight in space because he says if um, it, you know, if there's no neighbourhood, how can you have a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man? Kind of forces him into this bigger story, and that's that's part of the kind of ongoing thing of these stories just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and stupider and stupider and stupider. That's so at right. The start of this, this is the Kardashian Peter Parker movie, you know, <laughs> because when he was going on whining. Oh, you know, I'm in Europe. Like, you know, do I need to save the world when I'm in Europe? And you're like, oh, fuck off, schmuck. Like, you know, kind of most people your age are worried about whether they're going to get a summer job to pay for their tuition at kind of community college, right? So, you know, like kind of you not getting what you want, you know, in Europe, right? Like, fuck you. That's more was my thinking. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be nice to see a socialist one next time, wouldn't it? Well, with some social you as well. No, no, I, I'm, not, I'm fucking serious about it. I'm, I, I mean that to be honest. I think that would, that would be much more interesting. One that, one that. But then you know there would be, at least, at least in a sense, this is kind of honest about how little it cares about people. Well, you know, imagine the lip service if it was like, and now it's going to be Spider-Man saves the neighborhood again. Well, like, you after know, he's been to space. I kind of I don't want to politically correct uh, uh, Spider-Man either. <laughs> but you know, is there a single that kind of image that you remember from the film? I mean, is there an image that you think, wow? You know. Well, there was this. I remember the sequence of the hallucination, for instance. Whether there was an image, I think the image right at the end of um, Spider-Man grabbing uh, Mysterio's gun as as the kind of fake Mysterio is sitting on the floor. There's a, there's a composition there, mm. which is great, and I really liked. And um, I mean, I, I, if you're talking about like a single kind of composition like that, then apart from that, I probably can't think of one. But I think, but nonetheless, I think it is beautiful to look at. I think yes, I wouldn't say I, so. I, you know, maybe no. beautiful is not the right word, but visually dazzling. Certainly, that hallucination scene. It maybe it brought me back to like to some of the stuff in um, uh, Doctor Strange, you know, um, or or kind of uh, Scarecrow some... in 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 Batman. Sort of no, thing. see, I think this film had nothing. You know that, like those sequences in Doctor Strange where the world seems to dissolve or turn upside down? Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, I thought those were fabulous, right? And there was a real kind of visual nous about how those were presented. Yeah. And a kind they were of a logic. Than those. You know? um, so there's nothing in the film near. No, near no, there wasn't that. anything near that. And, I, and the, no. the director is probably not much of a director. Really, I mean, visually. Yeah. You know, he also directed the last one, yes. um, which again, which again was like a perfectly fine movie that I really enjoyed. But um, is there a shot you remember? It's nothing. I mean, even like even the even the Amazing Spider-Man movies, which are the um, not hugely well regarded, I suppose, um, Andrew Garfield ones, yeah. had those wonderful swinging sequences where everything yes, kind of lined up in wonderful. the city. And you yes. know, this didn't have anything like even the swinging that you talk about right at the end. Yes, was I wasn't. Actually, I didn't think that. Well, it had been done before in the uh, in the Garfield yeah. ones, but I think it looked better as well. Oh, yes. Um, um, anyway, it's so you know. Um, I don't want to discourage um, anyone from seeing it. Um, I, I really didn't have a good time. I, I think maybe it's just I'm in a bad mood. But, you know, those, <laughs> well, I, those I, things about There certainly Venice. seems to have been... A, yeah, I was going to say, there certainly seems to be a thing of, like, you just come back from, from, from this uh, cultural uh, sort of trip to Bologna, having seen any number of wonderful classics. No, it's not just that, but let me tell you what it is about. So, for example, one of the things that... One of the, one of the um, filmmakers that discovered was Youssef Shaheen, right? Okay. This Egyptian filmmaker who's just wonderful. Um, 
But one of the things that I noticed was when watching his films is that um, in each composition, he's got about 40 or 50 people. Like, you know, his he never frames, or he very rarely frames, you know, a composition with one person on it, right? Like, kind of, you know, there's always, like, kind of dozens of people in the frame. His films are social films. Like, the fact that you have so many people in the frame re- reveals something about that culture and that society, right? You know, kind of in formal terms, yeah? Yeah. Kind of, you know, so, I, you know, so you come back and you try to think, well, what does this, you know, Spider-Man reveal? And, you know, also, I was, I've been really appalled with all the um, Super Bowl concert stages where, you know, what is meant to be a, a joyous dance sequence ends up being an exercise in kind of military precision and it's all so militarized and weaponized and it speaks of a barbaric culture. And so maybe I have been seeing this film through those eyes. But actually, I think seeing it through those eyes, there is a payoff to that. You do yeah. see that, right? But, you know, how could you contemplate kind of destroying Venice and then kind of trying to place jokes within that? I mean, it's just fucking like tactless, offensive, insulting, ignorant, you know, and I, you know, I don't doubt that the majority of the audience won't get that or feel for that or whatever, but I claim it's there. Yeah. I mean, and and if it is, I just, I just think you kind of need to be more consistent with your outrage and, and take offense at every film that's done that. Well, you know, this is the first time I've heard that. This is what I have you for, you know, you can, you can call me on that next time. But, you know, kind of, I did, uh, yeah, kind Mm. of, um, you know, it could also be that I haven't noticed it at previous times or whatever, you know, but that you could destroy Venice, kind of, and crack jokes within that. I I kind of find it a problem. I'm sure Venice has been destroyed in a film before. I mean, it's such an obvious target. It's an empire built on sand, that place. Well, or you know, water. I've not, uh, you know, you've seen shootouts in Bond films in Venice, and you've seen action sequences in what's the Michael Caine film with the cars? Italian Job. Yeah, the Italian Job. You know, lots of lots of crime takes place in Venice, but I haven't seen Venice destroyed kind of senselessly whilst jokes are cracked. You know, in between, it's kind of appalling. Thing might, I think the jokes might be overdoing it. I did, it didn't feel like it, it wasn't. It wasn't a jokey fight scene. I don't think there were that many jokes in it. I think that's slightly over. Well, that's not overdoing it, but I think it's slightly misrepresenting what what the fight scenes were. Um, they weren't. My, my whole for point that. is that the filmmakers didn't think about it. Mm. Yeah, you know. But actually, that they didn't think about it is a problem for me. Mm. Maybe they thought about. Maybe they thought this is great. It's the perfect way to annoy Jose. Well, and they were right. Well, they certainly were right about it having annoyed me. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would be interested to see whether, um, yeah, how that plays out. Um, and I'd be kind of, um, I would be surprised if it doesn't annoy other people. I mean, you know, in the, in the context that we live in at the moment. Um, yeah. But I also think that would be an interesting difference to see the reception of all of that in Europe, in America, and then in places like China, where, you know, something like, you know, Venice would not necessarily uh, signify as much. Hmm. Let me see if Venice has been destroyed. Let's see if I can find anything. That'd be interesting. Venice. Destroyed. 
Venice is being destroyed by tourists, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's true. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, know. I won't find anything on it, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. don't know. It's interesting, you know, interesting sort of um, critical strategy. Using my university words there. I still have some. I think it's just sheer thoughtlessness, that's all. It's just it doesn't matter to people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. w- you know, whereas, you know, maybe them offending some, you know, corporate higher-ups, they're very conscious and careful about, which actually is, you know, part of the problem of the cultural leader. Anyway, when one the- has to be critical about those things, and one can't just say, oh, it was fun. Because, you know, what was it fun about, right? And kind of what kind of fun was it? And so on. I mean, you know, kind of fun also is not an innocent thing. You know, kind of, you know, films are stories about the world that we live in, right? So kind of what kinds of stories they are, what they say about it, what desires they incite or, you know, kind of what ideal worlds they, they portend. You know, those are all kind of why these films should matter, right? So, you know, to, to, to then say... Okay, this is why these films should matter, but actually it doesn't matter you know, to me at all because it, it cracked a few good jokes or whatever. It's just not good enough for me. You know, either you, know, you deal with these films seriously or you don't. You know, but then you can't claim they're great and then not deal with them seriously. You know, so... Hmm. How much of that is personally aimed at me? Quite a bit. <laughs> no, never claim greatness. But you're right. I probably, I probably am being as as thoughtless as the filmmakers in in not caring about the destruction. But you know, it, it, it like I said, it didn't feel egregious to me. It felt uh, justified ain't the right word, but. Um, you know, like it's it, like the disrespect, uh, in a sense that you that you feel in Godzilla, you know, um, is not saying that I felt here it felt like an appropriate context for what was going on. Oh God! Well, you see, I kind of, um, yeah, I don't feel that way. I mean, so for example, if you remember in the in the first Mission Impossible film, mm. right? Like, there's this whole beautiful use of Prague, actually. It's one of the things that made me want to go to Prague, right? Because, you know, it just it was it was so beautifully depicted on the film, and things like the Charles Street Bridge and the restaurants and so on were used as atmosphere and locale and a place for like romance and also for betrayal and, you know, um, and actually there was an explosion in a restaurant and you know yeah. it's not a kind of there wasn't action or violence in it, but they didn't destroy Prague. Right, mm. you know, kind of action took place in Prague. This film kind of destroys entire areas of Prague, mm. like without a thought, like without without yeah. you know. I mean, you know, a filmmaking is an interactive thing. You have to think of how is the audience going to react to this being shown or this being done, or yeah, like kind of you're doing it for an audience. So to think that this destruction of like these three major capitals in Europe is of no consequence to an audience is to me a problem yeah it's um there should be more there should be more context around it or, or significance attributed to it i think you know in to think about it in a more practical sense what i was saying about the villain's um ultimate goal being unclear i think is kind of related to it like like it, 
he also he wants to destroy these massive things and create this image of him saving the world from these massive things. Mm. Um, and if his kind of ultimate goal made more sense to as an audience, it would perhaps justify that more. And as it doesn't, I think you're left going, why did this is meaningless? Yes. Act, kind of spectacle. Yeah. Um, I think the film doesn't actually justify it within its own story. And also, I think it's because of something. So, for example, you could imagine a scene, a film, a scene or a film, set in the Tower of London that could bring up all the history and excitement and use the atmosphere, you know, and so on, without actually kind of destroying the Tower of London, right? But well, there's a, a scene in Black Panther where Killmonger goes to the British Museum and, and points out artifacts that have been stolen from his culture. That's, that's I think, a, a fairly reasonable equivalent of what you're talking about. Well, it's similar. A little bit, you know. Um, but the, do they destroy the British? They don't destroy it. They, they, they kill the kind of guards and people and then okay. take the items. And they take the items. So, you know, you can get suspense and action and so on. Yeah. yeah. But in this one, they bring the drones in, yeah, yeah. right? Like, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah. you know. I mean, come on. I, I just find that offensive. That's all. You know, that kind of you don't mm. think about how, you know, the destruction of something like the Tower of London or 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 or, or, or Tower Bridge or or the Piazza San Marco or whatever, will, how that will affect audiences, you know. Mm. Um, and, you know, fair enough to say that most audiences won't even know where the Piazza San Marco is, you know. Uh, but I think European audiences will. And it is, you know, troublesome. Mm. Should we leave it here? I think we're better. I have to go to work and watch Lord of the Rings too. <laughs> Three fucking hours. And I think I've ranted enough. Um, yeah. Well, you know, luckily, um, I don't really care. So you haven't dampened my enthusiasm for the film because <laughs> I still enjoyed it. <laughs> I know you enjoyed it, but I'm hoping that you know, kind of, now that I've pointed out these things. You know, the enjoyment will sour in your mind and make you feel guilty about having enjoyed no, such shit. No, not at all. <laughs> not, not at all. Because I still, because it still, to me, came down to the character relationships and and Peter Parker's personal story. Yeah. You know, and kind of what his responsibilities yeah. are and, and his relationship with Zendaya. And, you know, and, all, kind and, I, of and I really, really Hitler loved that. really loved that Eva Brown. You know, and kind of. It was a little tough relationship with. Are them. you seriously? It had a real human dimension. Reductio uh, ad Hitlering me. I'm making kind of the comparison that you're making. That, you know, just because kind of human relations are human relations kind of doesn't absolve anything else. I'm not saying it absolves anything else. I just, uh, you know, there were things I liked in it that you definitely didn't because you were going, oh, my buildings. Oh, <laughs> 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 <All> my buildings. <laughs> what the buildings represent, you Philistine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They survived for thousands of years. And no, let's just blow them out for us like a stupid Spider-Man movie with no consequences expected. Yeah. I don't care. They were only buildings. It's, well, not, you know, it's not like Grenfell Tower, is and it? You deserve, if, imagine if they destroyed Grenfell Tower in Spider-Man. You deserve Ball. the world you get. I'm saying, you know, let's combine both of our hates. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm no, just saying, if you fuck yeah. Notre Dame, it doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. That's the moral. The thing is that it mattered, you know, to everyone all over the world. No. You know, and this film is kind of not acknowledging 
that these are symbolic sites, that they matter to people, and what they represent matters to people. And actually, these American barbarians are treating it as if it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. It does. It doesn't really. Yeah, so those American barbarians are speaking to this English barbarian, <laughs> who is responding. People <laughs> you know, the, building, the buildings get destroyed, and no one dies because they're able to save the people, and that's what matters. Well, that's not even true, because, you know, lots of people died, and nobody gives a fuck. You didn't see anyone die. You saw lots of buildings falling over people. You did, but again, the film has that wonderful strategic thing of let's move them all out of the way. Yes. None <laughs> of the names people, none of the Americans died. Yeah, none of the Americans died, but none of the Italians either. You didn't see any, you know, that, that's the whole thing. It's like, it's, it's a big sort of bloodless spectacle that um, is sort of safe for consumption by mass markets. I'm not saying it's perfect, fuck me. But I'm, I'm saying, you know, if it if it's only it's only just some fucking building. It's a piece of kind of corporate fascist filmmaking, <laughs> you know, that you're trying to kind of say it's okay because it has kind of two sweet teenagers awkwardly falling in love. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good note to end on. Then, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies. And we are on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, YouTube, and on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. The website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. And um, there you go. Thank you very much for listening. Leave us a comment, leave us a share or a like or a rating or all that sort of stuff. It really helps us out. Yes. Some people are telling you that they listen. I was in Bologna and kind of several people told me that they listened to eavesdropping. You know, and they were not friends of ours or indeed friends of friends of ours. Right. So, so that, that kind of... That was you know, lovely. Yeah. That was lovely. That was very nice to know. So, uh, okay. so do please kind of uh, let us know if you're listening and what you think of what you're listening. Uh, yeah. Yes. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>